Welcome to the Sober Gay Sunday podcast, a podcast about being gay and sober and not just on Sundays. In this podcast, we'll explore the ins and outs of being queer and sober in a world where drinking and using are woven into the fabric of our culture. This season, we'll be hearing the stories of addiction and recovery from sober gays from all over the world. Every story of recovery is unique in its own way, and every story deserves to be heard. So let's go. In this episode, we welcome Patrick. Patrick has lived in NYC since 2014. Before that, this New Hampshire native lived in Boston. He has worked in education for 10 years after making a career change from healthcare. He has been sober for 15 years. Please welcome Patrick. Hi, Patrick. Welcome to the pod. Hi, Dave. Thank you for having me. Of course. It's really great to have you. This is our first recording in person. So we are just now trying to figure out our mic situation. We are sitting in my room in Boston. Patrick has come up from New York for a visit. So thank you so much. Um, I'm honored. All right, so we're gonna get started. So why don't you start off by telling us your name, your preferred pronouns, and a little bit about yourself. My name is Patrick. Um, My pronouns are he, him, his. And what was the third thing? A little bit about yourself. I am killing it so far. (laughs) Wow. A little bit about myself. Um, Yeah, I am in my mid-40s. I um, have been sober for um, December will be 16 years. I'll have my sweet 16. And um, I work in education and I'm also working on my PhD. We're going to start off now with your sobriety story. What you're going to do is you're going to start us off from your very first drinking or using experience and you're gonna take us all the way through up till now. Okay, all right, so it's, uh, wow. Uh, You know, sometimes I I think back and I I think something was my first experience, but then I remember something that was even earlier. Um, I remember being young and being at my grandmother's uh, place in the summertime with my my family. My mom comes from a large family and uh, they would play horseshoes. And um, whenever they needed a beer, the kids would fight and argue over who was going to go get the beer because they would let us have a sip. Uh, so that was probably the first time, um, the first drinking experience. And I think during those uh, those episodes, I realized, or I at least started to associate um, drinking with having fun and family and, and, and celebration. Um, I definitely had uh, moments where uh, I remember my first sickness from alcohol was when I was probably about 12 years old. My parents had a huge uh, New Year's Eve party, and uh, this is to this will date me. But the the drink that was very popular back then was a fuzzy navel, and uh, my cousin and I went around and picked up <laughs> empty or drinks that had been left unattended and would sip off of those and uh, I had too much and I went outside and vomited and um, my mom found out she wasn't very happy. Um, But uh, not that long after I um, started drinking with friends in high school, this brought me into my teenage years um, and this kind of corresponded to uh, my realization that I was also uh, gay. Um, And so there was uh, a lot of like uh, self-hate 
and uh, low self-esteem and uh, internalized homophobia um, that started to accompany the drinking. And, and that's when I um, established this connection that drinking um, made me forget about all of those things. Um, so, you know, I had the connection um, with alcohol being there for like celebration and, and fun and family. Um, and now I had this other connection that alcohol helped me get rid of some of the problems that I dealt with consistently on a daily basis. Um, and, you know, all through high school, there was a lot of binge drinking. Um, and, uh, you know, at the time, um, it was it was celebrated. Um, and then you'd go back to school and then there'd be some sense of community with the other people who were there at the party. Um, and that's desperately what I was searching for. Um, I think it was something that I've been desperately searching for from a very young age um, is uh, a sense of belonging, a community that I felt that I belonged to, um, people that I knew would um, always be there to support me and have my back. Um, I don't think I felt that um, very much in my early childhood. Uh, so it, it, you know, and it, even in high school, I didn't feel that. Um, so that just started the, the long, long history of drinking. So you got through high school being a little party boy. So after high school, how did that, um, how did your drinking change? How, what were your habits like after high school? I don't think that the only thing that I can tell you that did change about my drinking, um, obviously the frequency increased, but the only thing that changed was that I didn't feel the need to hide it anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, because I was out of high school, I wasn't living under my parents' roof. I was working. I was, I was um, going to school full time and I was around other people who were similar to me. And so, um, you know, I, I wasn't afraid um, and I didn't feel the need to conceal it anymore. Mm -hmm. So that was really the only thing that changed. Um, I definitely, uh, you know, the more I drank, the more my tolerance built. Um, so I, I spent fewer, uh, days with like hangovers and, and, and illnesses because of alcohol. So after college, getting out of school, what was the next step for you in your drinking career? So I, I ended up moving to, Lexington, Kentucky, um, and I lived there for five, five years. Um, and I, I, I will say that that is probably one of the only times in my life that I felt that uh, that I um, had found what I had been searching for so earlier, uh, so much earlier on in my life. I really felt like I had a community. I, um, I had people that I really cared about and loved and. I felt that in return from them, um, and you know it was it was a good time. Um, it was too much of a good time. <laughs> I uh, had been arrested for a DUI early, like I think 2000, 2001, um, and uh, didn't bother to get my license back for six years after because I just thought, what's the point? I'm just going to drink and get another DUI and have to deal with the, with the consequences of that. Um, so. Um, I continued to rack up uh, two um, public intoxications while I was mm -hmm. in Kentucky. Um, and, you know, and, and I, I thought about this at one point the other day that I was like, you know, I would willingly jump into the passenger seat of a vehicle that was being driven by someone who I knew was under the influence 
of whatever substance. And it was okay to me. And I felt comfortable doing that because at least it wasn't me in the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I thought about that randomly the other day and I just thought about like, wow, that's, that's the space that I was in there. Now you're in Kentucky. Did you stay there? How long did you stay there for? Yeah, I stayed, (laughs) I stayed in Kentucky for about five years. So now, um, you know, as far as like, uh, timeline of my life this was I think I was like 27 or maybe 28 when I decided that um, I I really didn't have anything um, in my life to show for the past couple of years and um, you know I knew 30 was coming up and I didn't want to go into my 30s not having anything Mm -hmm. Um, so I decided that the best move would be to move back uh, to New Hampshire, um, and to try to use um, my degree. Was the drinking out of control at this point? Was it in control? I don't think the the drinking was ever in control. Fair. To be honest, I really don't. I don't think. I think um, if if I thought that, I would be be tying it to um, like, oh well, I only drink three days a week as opposed to five days a week. Um, so the, the drinking was never really in control. And, you know, the thing that I didn't realize until several, several years ago was that, you know, when the drinking stops, the problems are still there. Mm-hmm. Right. So the anxiety is still there. Uh, the, the, the low self-esteem is still there. If you have a traumatic childhood, mm-hmm. uh, the trauma that is not healed is still there. So, you know, it, it I think that I continued to drink because I wasn't in a place to deal with all of the things that I knew I had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was, and I wouldn't even like, I don't even like to use the word functioning alcoholic because I don't think that I was functioning very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've heard many people say in meetings that they thought that they were pulling the wool over somebody's eyes, yeah. but they really weren't. Um, and, and, you know, I look back on some situations um, and I think to myself, wow, who did I think I was fo- uh, fooling? Yeah. Uh, you know. So you're back in New Hampshire. Is this leading up to your kind of rock bottom moment that switched you into the new, you know, recovery part of your life? Well, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, um, I, I try to stop myself from from um, comparing myself, you know, because comparison is is. Um, always tricky and, and not recommended, but my rock bottom was not um, the same as others. I was working at a hospital in Manchester, New Hampshire. It was my first professional job using my first degree that I had earned, and um, I was fired, and I was walked out of the hospital. And it was because I would show up to work um, late or I would not show up at all. Um, and at one point the manager of the department pulled me into his office and said, you know, we have this employee's assistance program if you need to use it. Uh, so obviously he knew what was going on. Mm. Um, and I just, you know, I didn't, I didn't, um, I, I thought that, you know, instead of stopping or trying to get help, my thought was how can I hide it better? Mm -hmm. Um, so it, that conversation really didn't do much. Yeah. But fortunately, I did start seeing a therapist at that time. Um, and I don't remember her name. I, I really wish I did. Um, but she did this really, she, she just, we had a great connection. And 
Um, I was seeing her for depression because I had been on depression medication since I was 21. Um, and it wasn't really helping. And so I went to her to see if that would, if therapy would help. And she was really, uh, skilled in bringing me to the conclusion that my drinking was a big issue. Um, and she did it in a way where I got there by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I, I think that that was the best approach for me at the time because I had people come up to me and say, your family members, close friends, um, you know, your drinking is a problem and, you know, we need you to stop. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't until this therapist came to me with this approach that, you know, for the first time, um, and it really did the trick. It really got me um, to a place where I could start to admit that I had a problem. Mm -hmm. And did you decide on your sobriety date, like, because of an incident or did it, was it just a very gradual kind of realization through this therapist? Yeah, it was, it was a combination of both. I think it was, um, you know, like many, like, I think, you know, as humans we're very complex and, and, and layered and, and this coming to this conclusion was also very layered. It was losing my job mm -hmm. for the first time being fired. Um, it was working with the therapist, but it was also that, um, you know, the, the previous Christmas, um, I had got intoxicated and I was at my mom's place and my family was there and um, my mom basically yelled at me in front of everybody and she was like, you know, if, if you're going to continue acting like an asshole, then you can just leave because you're not going to ruin Christmas for everybody. Oof. Yeah, that's that'll do it. Yeah. And, um, you know, my mom's 5'4 and solid and, you know. Um, you know, she would knock me on my ass if I needed to. So, mm -hmm. um, but she's also a very lovely human. So, so that was kind of it for you. Then, yeah. So it was, it was all three, it was all three things came together. And then, um, I just got to the point, you know, and it, it was also the fact that I, I couldn't go to sleep at night unless I had at least one alcoholic beverage. Mm -hmm. I would wake up in the morning and I would have, uh, the DTs, you know, until, you know, an hour after I woke up or until I had something to drink. Um, I could start to see the changes in my body. I could start to see the changes in my skin. Mm -hmm. Starting to get that, that, that alcoholic look to, yeah, as, yeah. Uh, as it were. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that's, that's a really great story that, you know, it was, it wasn't just one kind of big moment, but a bunch of moments kind of stuck together, which made it, you realized that it was time to be done. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I, I remember when I finally decided, you know, it's, it's time to get sober. It's time to, to finally admit that, um, I can't do this any longer and, and I need to get help. I thought back to uh, a time in health class in high school and a woman came in and, um, talked about her own addiction and recovery. And I, I remember listening to her speak and I thought to myself, I'm going to be an alcoholic. Like, not that it was something that I was aspiring to, but just listening to her speak, I just, I don't know, I kind of resonated with it. And I thought to myself, like, that's, that's going to be the same thing that happens to me. And when I woke up in the morning um, and I had the DTs, I thought back to that health class and I thought to myself, like, it's, you are an alcoholic, right? Like, mm -hmm. you, you, you have <laughs> manifested into what you thought uh, all those years ago. So, you know, now is the time. There's like little signs 
as a kid of things that are kind of showing your addictive future. And right. it's funny, like you as a kid had a a manifestation moment, whereas like I look back and we were talking about um, my obsession with Rice Krispie treats and chocolate mousse being an early sign of addiction. <laughs> and you're like, you're saying, I was in health class and this lady talked about being an alcoholic and I was, you're like, that's me. Right. Like, right. that's funny. I haven't heard that. It's, it's, um, childhood manifestation moment right. yet. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if manis- manifestation <laughs> is the right word, uh, but maybe I just had a, a quick glimpse into my future. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I don't think anything would have stopped that from coming true. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was meant to be, um, and, and, um, I'm very fortunate and grateful and I, um, and I do recognize that, um, my rock bottom was, it could have been much worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very grateful that my rock bottom was enough to get me to stop. Mm-hmm. Thank you for tuning in to the Sober Gay Sunday podcast. Please feel free to like, subscribe, share, and comment. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Sober Gay Sunday. You can also email me directly at SoberGaySunday at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, stay sober, guys. I'm so sick of small talk.